Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne, and we welcome you to These Sports Rivals. It is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Well, our purpose here, as always, is to present memories of classic sports rivalries. We do it through the words of those who participated in them. These are the rivalries that are described from the inside out. And today we're going to turn to an area where rivalries just predominate, and that's in college sports, and in college basketball in particular. The rivalry that we're going to talk about today, the University of Arizona and Stanford and the Pac-12. And our guests today are two players who participated in those rivalries, and they're going to talk about what those rivalries were like uh, for each of them. Richard Jefferson played at the University of Arizona under the great Lute Olson, the Hall of Fame basketball coach, 1998 to 2001 for Richard. He was a first-round pick by Houston at the end of his collegiate career, 17-year professional career, and an NBA championship in 2016 with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He moved on to the broadcast booth. He has broadcast for YAS, ESPN, Fox, the Pac-12, and uh, there's on the University of Arizona campus a place called Jefferson Gym, and it was made possible by Richard's donation to the university and a, a great donation and a great building that the university named for him. Our other guest is Casey Jacobson. Casey was at Stanford. He was a first-team All-American sophomore, an all-Pac-12 player for the years he played for Stanford from 99 through 2001. Our first round, 2002 pick, Phoenix, five years in the NBA, and then a very interesting professional career, nine years playing in Europe. When uh, Casey Jacobson finished his collegiate career, he was in the Stanford record book 39 different places. He too Jeez. went on to the broadcast booth. Don't be scared, Richard. It's all right. He was... <laughs> Casey went on to work uh, in the broadcast booth with Phoenix, with Fox, with the Pac-12, and the two of them join us here. So Richard Jefferson, University of Arizona, Casey Jacobson out of Stanford. Gentlemen, it is great to have you on board here to talk about this tremendous rivalry between these two schools and the two of you who got to play against one another. Uh, if I am right here, and I'll ask uh, Richard, you can go first on this, just to go back to when you first met. Was it at the, the camp with Michael Jordan in 99? Is that where you first, you two first came across each other? I, I feel like that's the case. I'm trying to recall because um, I'd heard of Casey Jacobson when he was in high school, obviously all the records and, and, and scoring, uh, you know, went to a, a fairly well-known high school and was playing well. And I feel like Arizona was recruiting Casey. Am I correct, Casey? Were they recruiting you? Oh, yeah, they definitely were. Yeah, all the West and, Coast schools were. Well, I, well, okay, listen, once you say Arizona's recruiting you, then that means all the West Coast schools are recruiting you. That's <laughs> all you got to say. You don't have to go. Like, once Arizona's recruiting you, that means everyone in the country is recruiting you. Uh, but why didn't you go to Arizona? I'm curious as that. Not that Stanford was a bad choice. Like, legitimately, but why didn't you go to Arizona? Because my mom and dad said it was a, a bad school. And if I was going to get a scholarship, if people were offering me a full scholarship to play ball 
my mom was like, you know what? You might as well also get a good education in Arizona. Eh. So like, you should probably go to Stanford. I was like, you're right, mom. Smart, smart advice. No, it, it was, it was actually great advice by your mom. My, mm-hmm. my only, okay. So let's go back to that. So Arizona wasn't a good enough school. And look, at the end of the day, Stanford was, I won't say like as good as Arizona at basketball, but you guys were, you were like probably our number one rival. It was like UCLA was starting to kind of wane down and like Stanford was on the rise up. Right. Well, if you remember Rich, I, so you're one year older than I am. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you started your basketball career in 98, 99. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the year, if I'm not mistaken, that Stanford was coming off their final four appearance. Yeah. Um, when they had Arthur Lee, Chris Weems, Mark Madison, they beat Rhode Island to advance to the final four that mm-hmm. year. So I was in high school watching that. And up until, you know, my late high school years, Richard, I never even had Stanford on my radar. They weren't good mm-hmm. enough at basketball. I, yeah. I knew cool they were but they were never good enough at basketball to really consider going there um i think that final four put them on the map nationally and it certainly opened my eyes to hey stanford actually has some ballers they're not just a bunch yeah. of nerds there, right so well um, they're still a bunch of nerds but they're nerds that can ball let's let's ball. call it let's call it let's call it is what it is but no but no but to your point like arizona was the exact same thing so the year before arizona went to the national championship won the national championship in 97 shout out, the to next, miles simon. shout out to miles simon my guy nba champion you know was on, on the lakers as an assistant coach um so I, may, I, I, I don't fault you. I made the exact same decision. Like Arizona went to the national championship game, won it. And then that following year is the year I was making my decision. And I'm like, dude, like it's 90 minutes away from home and the best team in the best school, best basketball reigning champions want you to come there. It's not much of it's not much of a choice. Like you have no choice. But I, I'm pretty sure the first time we met Richard was during that Michael Jordan flight school. And for those who are listening, who don't know about it, it, it was, it's the premier um, it's Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan's yeah. flight school. He puts on, it's a camp for young kids at UC Santa Barbara. And I don't even know if he still does it. I don't, I don't believe he does. Yeah. Uh, but for, you know, for 20 years during his playing career, that was like this, the camp to go to. Right. And, but more so than the little kids, it was the place to be if you were a college basketball player, because he would invite the best, like, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. about the, the best players from in, in and around the country to come and be coaches and counselors. Counselors. And yeah. none of us were really interested in coaching eight, nine year old booger booger picking kids what we really went there to do was to play pickup games at night with mj that was the treat for all of us that was the treat yeah that's and we got a picture we got a picture we got one autograph like and it was like for us it was like a dream but that's where like it's so crazy case when we go back to that and i think about the people that were there at that camp it's like, I remember meeting Amari Stoudemire when he was a sophomore in high school. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to the pros. And we're like, wait, what? Uh-huh. And then it was like, I think it was like Jared Jack was there. And Do you remember Diana was- Taurasi was the only female there and she played with the other guys her age and was I, dominating? I, do, I don't remember. You don't? Well, no, but I, because this is the thing. I think you went, what year did you go? Because I, well, so I, you, you I went, went two years. years. Two years in I a row. Went, I only went one year. I only went one year. So I think she might've been there your second year. Okay. Um, But yeah, that camp was for us, that was a dream. Like we got to play pickup against, 
you know, our idol. And also it was cool because we knew that it was nothing but high school, all our college, all Americans there. So it was like you or like Dunleavy or, yep. um, you know, all of these guys, Jay Williams, like, Jay Williams and Gilbert was there. Uh, yep. I feel like Luke Gil- was there. Hey, speaking of Gilbert, Hey, the funniest story from that entire camp, Richard was member when the camp is over. Everybody gets a photograph and an autograph from from Michael Jordan. The, the campers and the counselors. You can bring in yeah. anything you want. It could be a jersey. Yeah. People bringing in pictures, whatever yeah, they yeah. had. At the end, we were just kind of messing around back at the dorms where we were staying. We were playing ping pong, and uh, Gilbert was hanging out. And Gilbert was selling. He had a, a duffel bag, and he was selling gear that was signed by Michael. And I was like. Gil, how do you, we only got one signature. How are you selling this? Stuff? He's like, hey, these kids don't know. I just started writing my The funny thing is like when people ask me about Gilbert and you see him now and like obviously if you follow his career and some of the shenanigans, people don't understand. Gilbert has been that person his entire yeah. life since yeah, he wow, picked boy. up a basketball, since he was probably 14 or 15 years old. He was absurdly talent the game came so easy for him and he was a crazy person a legit crazy person but no I you know what's so funny about you know to getting back to like the Stanford Arizona thing so like like you like I didn't know that much about Stanford um you know Arizona was, was Arizona UCLA was here but I knew Stanford was really really good but they hadn't kind of crossed over into that like high level national attention they were just one of the best schools on the west coast uh, and best teams, but then they got the Collins twins the year before I got there. Uh, and then I, I don't think they had much of a recruiting class. My freshman year, it was like us in UCLA. And then you were the big recruit the following year. And the funny thing is this, is that when we talk about rivalries, a lot of people times people don't understand that rivalries start before you get to college. And let me explain. So Luke Walton, uh, went to uh, uni high school in San Diego. And it was like him and his brothers. One brother played at San Diego State. His other brother played at Princeton. So these guys were like, you got three division one, six foot eight guys on, on one, one team in varying ages. They played the Collins Twins twice in the state championship in LA. Mm-hmm. One game they lose, um, they lose like it was like a really, really close game to Jason and Jaron Collins. And they, I feel like they had somebody else at Harvard Westlake. Then the next year, Luke's brother's senior year, they they lose to um, they lose to the Collins twins again in like overtime. Now the Collins twins go on to win the state championship, Harvard Westlake, good for them. Fast forward, they're both at Stanford. And Luke is my roommate in college. And all he kept talking about is how much he hated the Collins <laughs> Wins, like hated them. And Luke ended up winning a state championship his senior year. And just for all the people, for you to understand how hard it is to win a state championship in the state of California, he went against the Collins Wins. Obviously, he went to the NBA and his brothers. But the team that they faced in the, in the finals was Jason, Deshaun Stevenson and Jared Jeffries, um, uh, that both went on to play from Fresno. So that's who they played. So it's like, you're just talking about NBA, future NBA players just to get out of the, get, get to win a state championship. And so I started hating the Collins Swins just because he hated them. And I was like, well, screw Stanford. And so it was just funny that like the rivalry started before I ever played a game my freshman year because Luke 
hated the Collins twins. And I'm like, dude, you're my boy. If you hate them, I hate them. Screw them. <laughs> and so that's what, that's for me, what kind of peaked up the rivalry very, very quickly, even though I wasn't even a part of it. Yeah. The basketball world is small, Rich. I mean, I, yeah. I played with Luke Walton on a couple of AAU mm-hmm. tournaments, um, mm-hmm. you know, for ARC basketball. So I knew Luke, uh, Ricky Anderson who played at Arizona yeah. and he's from Long Beach. Um, I played, I was rivals with Jason Capono in high school. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. all go to the Pac-12. It, it was the Pac-10, of course, back then. So, yeah. By the way, dude, it's 20 years ago since we played college basketball. That makes no sense. It's, it's tripping me out, dude. It's, I'm glad we both still look. I'm glad we it, we both still look young. Like if you were bald now, it, like, <laughs> it would make me feel a lot older. Like I still, I was always bald then and you always had the same haircut. So this makes me feel like it was like only like 10 years ago. So that definitely helps uh you're right it is it is small man it is a very and this was pre i know it's gonna sound crazy but this is pre-internet this is pre-social media so like everything that you heard was like word of mouth it's like yo there's this kid man is this kid and casey jacobson man he can shoot from anywhere he runs around he's really good or oh yo man there's this kid jefferson man that like man he's from arizona i I don't know where he's from but man he's pretty athletic like everything was like we would sit on the bleachers and we would watch the two but yeah, we would, the legend of everybody was kind of just word of mouth. Like, yo, who do we got, man? We got, you know, the ARC team. They got a bunch of dudes that are going here, going there. And it was fun, man. That, that was the cool thing is that we all, like, especially the California kids, like you guys kind of played against each other, like played with each other during the summers. And then you were rivals during your high school team. I was from Arizona where we didn't have that same type of level of competition. So it was like all of the Arizona kids would have to get together to then go try and compete against the, you know, six or seven best teams from California are the best teams in, in the country. We couldn't have multiple AAU teams. So we started developing a rivalry with kind of like the California kids. Um, it wasn't much of a rivalry, but we started developing that. And so, you know, like knowing Mike McDonald, Mike McDonald, yeah. He he was working at the pump camps when I was like 16, 17 years old. He was working at the pump camps, me and Gilbert. I didn't even know he played basketball. I kid you not. Because he would just sit there and then like like he would like work the score clock. He would just do all this stuff. And the next thing I know, like this dude is like starting for Stanford. And I was like, wait. That's the, that's the dude that just used to work the clock because he just never played. He was like already committed and all of their stuff. So it was fun to see how small of a world it was. And we haven't even gotten into these these shitty games that we used to play dude, against each other. Oh. All right. So do you remember all the games Stanford? Versus Every there? single one. All right. Every, well, let's so, okay. let, wait, wait, wait. Let, let's, let's re- rewind, rewind really quickly, really quickly. Before we get into our generation, I'm going to Arizona and Stanford had a really big basketball history, like the couple years prior, my yeah. freshman year, the very first game we lost to Cal. So we were pissed off. I, we go to Stanford. It is rocking. Like we are like probably like seventh or eighth in the country. Uh, I break my foot in that game. I break my foot like five minutes into that game, uh, my sophomore year. And then all of a sudden, like Luke ended up having to play like 38 minutes that night and almost died. But, oh, I remember every single one of those games. 
<laughs> so the the again, you you are a year older than I am. So your freshman year, I wasn't playing at Stanford. That was uh, you know Mark Madsen again. Uh, Pete, the late Pete Sauer passed away a few years ago. He was on that team. Yeah. Um, anyways, our first matchup was in 2000, so January of 2000, my freshman year. We were, if you remember, Rich, we were undefeated. Undefeated. We were number, number one team in the nation. We had just got the number one ranking maybe like two weeks before. We were 12 and 0. And we, I think it was the very first weekend or maybe the second weekend of Pac-12 play. Um, and it was a really good game. And you guys beat us by three. Um, but but that was the game you were referring to. You broke your foot in that game. Foot in that game. Yeah. yeah okay, so that was the that, game I broke my foot. And, and the only thing I'll mention about that, so it happened really early. And for people who never followed uh, basketball at this time or followed Stanford at all, we used to have a really bouncy floor at Maples yeah. Pavilion. It was a floor that would go up and down. Like if you stepped on it, it would go down and it would come up. It was really strange. It was one of the most unique floors, almost like a WWF. Yeah, there's only there's only like three floors like that in the country. Yeah. Do yeah. you? I, I've never asked you this, but do you blame the floor at all for breaking your foot? No, because I re- I had a stress reaction. I did have a stress reaction. I, I, the first time it happened was, I want to say I was like 12 years old and I felt a pop in my foot, went to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, just stay off of it, blah, blah, blah. And so like fast forward, I'd never have any issues. Like did that probably have an effect? Yes, but I had already, like there was something that it was like, I felt the exact same pop. Right. That I felt. And I remember because I was like going to like save a ball out of bounds when I was like 12 years old. So like I remember all my weight being on there where I felt the pop. Fast forward to this game. It's like, was there always probably a little stress reaction there or something there? And that triggered it. I didn't give that much thought. You know what it was? I just wanted to beat Stanford so bad. And I was so (laughs) mad because I had I'd had a terrible game against Cal the night before. And we were in Pac-12 play, so I was super locked in. I was super focused. We knew you guys were the number one team in the country, and we didn't like that. We didn't like that you guys were undefeated. We didn't like that you guys were number one in the country. We were like, these guys, these basketball nerds, these guys. You guys were number five in the country. Yeah, but but this was the crazy thing. It's like we were number five, but I feel like we had lost to Cal. You did, yeah. You had two losses coming in. Yeah. yeah, so we had lost to Cal. We had lost to Cal. So I knew that that next game was like, dude, if we go over up here, and maybe we overlooked Cal, maybe we didn't, but Cal was still a good team, very, very good team at the time. And, and so I just remember Gilbert. Well, they were, when I say good, I mean that like they for, could for be Cal anybody. Standards, they were good. For Cal standard, yeah, this one, like, you remember like Lampley won like the Pac 12 player of the year? Like they had talent on that team. He was the and leading so I just scorer, remember, but he didn't have a lot around him. Yeah. So I remember this. I know Casey's upset about that one. Uh, <laughs> that that packed off player. I, I can feel it, Casey. No, I remember is that our coach used to tell us. He used to go, "Hey, if the crowd gets too crazy and the st- and the floor starts bouncing, tell them that it's affecting the rim, right? Tell them that it's affecting the rim." And so um, that's what Jason Gardner did it when, like, it was like late in the game and the crowd was going crazy, and all of a sudden the rim would shake. And the rim would shake. And so we would start like Jay, Jay Gardner would go and tell the official like, hey, mm-hmm. the rim's shaking. So they would get on the mic and tell the student section that they had to not jump around. And that just infuriated them. It was one of the best feelings ever. But we and we, we snuck out with the win. I'm on crutches. I'm on crutches before because it happened two minutes. I went and saw the doctor, came back. And then ultimately, I got to watch my team win that very, very first game against you guys. 
So uh, we ended up bouncing back. We played you guys two two months later and got a win at McHale. Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> this is a great time for me to bring up the fact that I had a winning record at McHale. I, I'm probably one of the only few basketball Pac-12 people that could possibly say that in their career. I was two and one at McHale. But in full transparency, Richard, I will admit that I was 0 and 3 against Arizona at Maples Pavilion. How about that? Is that crazy? I never beat Arizona in my home gym, but I got two wins at McHale. It's just really bizarre. Um, it, it, it was so funny though, because like, okay, so the next year, the next year, which was, and this is one thing that when people talk about rivalries, like, yeah, we're talking about rivalries. This, l- l- I try and tell people, Arizona and Stanford were both number one seeds in the tournament. Yeah, like, we just were to top give five that pers- teams in the country the, 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 the whole year for two years in a row. So, and then my, my junior year, your sophomore year, we were started off number one in the country. Lute Olson's wife had passed away. So just, we were going through some stuff. So that, that year we were a two seed and you guys were a one seed. So it was like the whole time, like the West coast basketball, which I know for you and I, cause we've done the PAC 12, it's been hard to watch, right? It's been hard to watch, like just not even a lack of dominance, but just a lack of national relevancy. Yeah. It was yeah. Just so like, Rich, I, I, I I remember that the year you're talking about, my sophomore year, your junior year, that was the 2001 NCAA tournament. And I remember, I'm sure you do as well, three Pac-10 teams made the Elite Eight that year. Mm-hmm. Three yeah, made the Elite three. Eight. I mean, that, that, we proved to be the best conference, conference. in America. We, it, wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't close either. Nope. And, and in fact, even though UCLA did not make the Elite Eight, they did make the Sweet Sixteen. Sweet Sixteen, and, and I feel like you had, it was it was USC, USC, us, and and you were the three yeah. teams that made the Elite Eight. Um, you were the only team that advanced to the Final Four. Of course, you guys ended up playing Duke in the national Duke. championship uh, that year and lost. But I mean, t- talk about the golden years of the Pac-10. Now the Pac-12. I I feel like uh, you know there hasn't it, it, been a year quite like that one. No, and and it's been it's been tough, man, because there was a change. Like obviously the 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 stars, like your coach decided to take on yeah. and try and go to the pros. Lute Olson dealt with, you know, some illness and just a lot of stuff personally. So it was like the two guys that had really built the Pac-12 up, right? That was the part that was hard because it felt like it all happened at once, right? And even UCLA was going through like transitional phases. But I'll say this. So my junior year. We lose, we lose, uh, at, did we, wait, you know, you, you, so we beat this basically the same thing as the year before, which is, um, we played you guys in January at McHale and won, yes. And then two months later, you guys yes. played in March, in March, right before the tournament started, you guys came to, to Maples and, uh, you beat us by one. If you remember, it was the game that Mike Wright, Mike Wright. made a layup with three seconds to go to so Lute Olsen. So when we lost to you guys at home, like we were still going through some stuff. That's when Lute yeah. Olsen's wife had passed and he wasn't there. And we were just, we were, we started off number one in the country and we fell as far as like 22 because we lost a bunch of game. We won the Maui classic and then ended up losing like three out of our next five. Cause our coach wasn't there. Like we were, we were just, so we lose to you guys. And I remember our assistant coach, Jim Rosborough comes in. He's like, Hey guys, we're going to figure this out. You guys stay together and we're going to go up there at the end of the season and we're going to whoop Stanford's ass. Right. <laughs> so fast forward. So fast forward, like you can't, months you can't later, whoop someone's ass by one point, but, but carry agreed. on. Agreed. 
I'm telling you the story that he tells us, but this is the story comes full circle. So we go up to Stanford and we know how big of a game it is. Like we used to get up for Stanford so much. And we, after the game, we win, we're excited. Mike Wright hit that huge shot and Lou Olson comes in and he was like, guys, you know, he was always so stoic. He never got excited, never got emotional. He was just like, guys, that was a very good win. I'm proud of the way you played. And he was like, and I did not know that that Coach Roz had told you guys that you guys were going to win this game five months ago. So like Roz had told him in the meeting, he's like, I'm so glad we won because I told these guys that we were going to win this game like five months ago. So I'm glad. So that was like the funnest part. But just to give people an understanding of how different Arizona and Stanford was. We both, I think it was my, was it my junior year? Or my junior year, or my sophomore, maybe my sophomore year, where we tied for the Pac-12, where we tied. Was that? That, that, that was the sophomore year because we won it outright. My junior, or my sophomore yeah. year. Yeah. So, you know, so that was so junior. We both had three losses. We both yeah. had three losses. Everybody, but the difference was we beat Stanford twice. We would just lose to like shitty teams, and then Stanford, <laughs> would, then Stanford would show up, and then we would just, we would, you know, win these games. So it was like, you look at our record, and it was like, oh, they had the exact, they're both 15 and 13, but it was like, they had two losses to us. So I always said that, like, even though we tied, like, we won the tiebreaker because we beat them twice, but it didn't work that way. But it was funny because... And Casey, there is always this image that will be imprinted in my brain for as long as we live. So both of us were very nationally prominent, like playing on national TV a ton. And so there would always be that normal ESPN or Fox Sports shot where they would have the camera below the guy and he would be like shooting a basket. Yeah. And be like, oh, this person's averaging, you know, 15 over their last five. And so what we were doing, because we had a bunch of idiots on our team, like full-blown idiots, uh, whenever the camera, you normally should just feed the guy and let yeah, him get a couple just, of shots. Yeah, and, you just feed, and feed the guy just a couple of shots. It's real, because the camera's going to be on him for like 10 seconds of every shot. So what we would do is whenever the camera was on Gilbert or Jason Gardner or Luke Walton, he would shoot a shot, and then we would fire a ball at his chest. Like, <laughs> as the ball was being released... And all of a sudden the guy would be like ducking and dodging. Like, and it was like the cameraman would get so mad. Cause he was like, dude, I just need a 10 second shot. And we <laughs> were doing this. The we, yeah. We were doing this the entire time. And I remember looking over at your face, Casey, and you were sitting on the bench kind of watching us do this little pre warm up, And you were just in awe. Like, these guys are just, these guys, do these guys take anything seriously at all? Yeah. And it was like, no, we didn't. But that's what made our school so like fun and different is because it was a contrast in style and personality, but there was such a mutual respect and hatred for the other ones. Like these guys, these guys, these guys don't party. These guys don't have fun. They're here for this. You look at us like these guys don't take anything seriously. Like what are these guys even about? But it was awesome because we both respected each other so, so much. And the games were just all time. The games were all time, man. I, I, of, of all the teams, when I think back to my Stanford, my three years at Stanford, by the way, we both uh, had a three-year college career and, and left yeah. the NBA, which yeah. I, I always want to ask you, Rich, we now live in a one-and-done college era. 
would you, how long would you have stayed if it were, if you were a college basketball player in 2020 at Arizona, how long would you stay? Would you, and I want you to answer it honestly. Maybe, maybe you weren't ready after your freshman year and you would have stayed for your sophomore year, but would you have stayed three years if you played now? It, look, look, I say that I say this, I think it's a cultural thing. I think it's a cultural yeah. thing. And I don't mean, I think when I say that culture, I mean like the basketball culture, mm-hmm. right? If you were a McDonald's all American and you were one of the top players in the country, it doesn't matter. Like no one stayed for their junior year, like then. So I wouldn't sit here and be like, well, I stayed three years. It's like, dude, if I was a McDonald's All-American and I was all Pac-12 and we were went to the second round of the tournament, but the crazy thing is, is that would Jason Terry had been there for his senior year, would the Colin twins had been there, right, right. for as long as they did. So it's like now kids are showing up as freshmen and they're the best player on the team. So this, yeah. even if the team's not that good, So, you know, for me, like, I probably would have done what the culture stated. Like back then, we would play our freshman year and get experience. Second year, we would come out and try and dominate. And then our third year, we were trying to either win a national championship or be player of the year or be, that's kind of like the transition because you were getting physically ready for to go and take that next step. Where now, even the NBA is so much younger. There's not as many veterans. There's not as many this. So I'm not going to sit up here on a pedestal and say, like, I thought about leaving my sophomore year because I like, broke my so, foot. So did and, I. So did I. Yeah. So I broke my foot and came back and our entire team was coming back. And I was like, dude, if I come back, like, we got a chance at a national championship. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why would I try and go and be the in late first round where mm-hmm. I wasn't really probably physically or mentally ready, maybe physically or athletically ready, but not like mentally and understood the game the right way. And you're not going to lose anything, but by being under your coach or being under my coach, you're not going to lose anything in that year. So um, I don't know. I think it's culture. I think they, I would prefer it if they change the culture because I think these kids just, they don't understand the benefit of these two, three yeah. years that you get. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that that nobody outside of maybe a LeBron James, a Zion Williamson is really ready after high school. I would argue that 99% of kids aren't ready after their freshman year in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do understand why, why kids want to go. I don't judge them. I mean, look, you and yeah, I both are early. Have- if, if I were honest, I would probably say that I would have maybe left after my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were playing today, it, it was definitely not something that a lot of kids were doing, um, you know, in the early two thousands, there were some, yeah. but I almost feel like kids who left after their sophomore year were elite, elite. And I knew that I, although I was a really good player, I knew I wasn't elite, elite, and I wasn't going to go into the NBA and just start crushing it. I, I knew that about myself. And I knew that Stanford gave me a great platform. We played in a really good system. Mike Montgomery was a great coach. So to me, it was kind of a no brainer to come back after, uh, after two years, but you're right about that culture thing. I, I, I'm not blaming these kids. It's just a part of, it's of, just a part of the way the game, the game yeah. has evolved. Well, I think they messed it up. They messed it up once they made kids go to college. Cause once they made kids go to college and they eliminated the high school kids, cause basically the high school kids would go right. If you wanted to go and that would kind of weed out a lot of the kids. And then the guys that went to college were like, I'm going to college because I want to go to college. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not because like, Oh, well I got to come here and I'm being one and done. But now if you go to school one year and they're like, oh, we have you at the bottom of the first round. You're like, I'm out. There is no like, I, I want to go to school. And also it's the people that are putting these things, kids in their heads are like, well, if you don't leave now, the next crop of kids are going to be coming in yeah. and then they're going to be doing it. It's like, dude, there's no difference between a 19 year old kid and an 
18 year old kid and a 20 year old kid. And, you know, so it's like if you stay another year and you go from averaging 12 to 17 and your team goes further, like, yeah, your stock can improve. But people would rather improve, try and improve in the NBA. I know it's improving college. Lou Dort is a great example of that. And he actually had a really good uh, playoff. Like he had Mm -hmm. a great game seven and, and, you know, it's probably going to work out for him, but he went undrafted. He was the perfect example of a guy that had a good freshman year, had a ton of potential, but man, he needed some polish. He needed to stay another year in college and learn and grow. And instead he's like, I don't care if I go undrafted at all. I'm going to go the G League route. And I just like, man, that's risky. Now, again, it might work out for him, Rich, but there's, you know, 10 other Lou Dorts out there that are thinking that same thing and are never going to sniff an NBA floor. Uh, Guys, I hate to interrupt you, but I want to make sure that we have an opportunity for each of you to talk about the Hall of Fame coaches that both of you had while playing college basketball. Casey, uh, let me start with you at Stanford um, and Mike Montgomery. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be brief and, and honest. Um, when I, Mike Montgomery was one of the reasons that I went to Stanford, but I'd be lying to say that he was the reason. Stanford was just such an amazing school. And then when I went my freshman year, I actually didn't like Coach Montgomery as much as I thought I would. We, <laughs> we butted heads a little bit, and here's why. I was a, uh, I was a confident young man. I, I wanted to, um, you know, I was a McDonald's All-American, and I walked into – my freshman year thinking that I was one of the best. We had Mark Madsen, who was a, a All-American. He was the leader of our team. But besides Mark, I thought I was our second best guy. And I wanted to start. I wanted to play all 40 minutes. And Coach Montgomery refused to start me um, in, in the starting five. And we went, I don't even know if Richard even remembers this, but I came off the bench um, the first half of that year. And so when we were undefeated, we were the number one team in the country. I was our sixth man as a freshman and our leading scorer. I was averaging 14 points off the bench. And yeah. you know, Rick, you know me, that burned me. I was like, coach, <laughs> I should be on the floor for every minute. Like yeah. I, I should be a starter. You should never take me out. And he was so old school. And he was like, no, uh, David Mosley was our starter. He was a senior. He was one of the captains. And he's like, David has, has earned his stripes. And I'm like, that, that's not flying with me. I'm better than Mose. I'll, I'll respect him those, but I was a better player than he was. And I wanted to start. So that um, was difficult for me. But once I matured, Rich, I mean, we're all mm-hmm. young and dumb. We all think we have the world mm-hmm. by, by the horns. Once I kind of got past that and really started to understand how amazing a coach Mike Montgomery was, he was the best. And this includes all the coaches I played for in the pros and in Europe. He was the best coach at X's and O's that I've ever played for. He was also the best coach that got us prepared. We were never out prepared. We walked through every scenario that a team would throw at us. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a matter of execution. I never felt like, man, our coach doesn't know what he's doing or our rotations are stupid or we have the wrong scheme defensively. I never felt that way. So grateful for him. And then as I grew up, Richard, like my sophomore year, my junior year, I stopped like holding any resentment toward Coach Montgomery and started to appreciate just the genius that he was and the amazing opportunity that he gave me. But it, it, but honestly, it took me at least a year to start to like to play for Coach Montgomery. Yeah, dude, the, the, you didn't even have to be briefed. And I think that is a, a, I think it's such a beautiful thing. And I would, I would do the exact same thing to my kids because you understand the value, right? You understand the value of it and 
you know, Lou Olson was the same way. I remember like Jason Terry, and, and this is one thing where I will compliment, you know, coach Montgomery is that you wanted guys like you have a senior that's about to be a senior and he's put in all of his time and he's going to be on one of the top teams in the country. And you have a young all American coming in. And it's like for that coach to be like, Hey, look, man, like, I'm sorry. Like, I would not do that to you. If you hurt yourself and you were a senior and we had a non young all American kid coming in, but you had put in your four, four years, I'm going to give this senior the opportunity. I don't give a damn how good you are, but think about what message that sent to Mosley. Think about what message that sent to you. Think about what message that sent to all of the future recruits that were coming in and like, you know, that right there, as difficult as it is, and it's not something that you ever want to experience, you understand the value of it. And you were intelligent, so you understood the value shortly thereafter. Like, you understood. It's like, okay, I get what he's doing. I understand. I don't like it. But sports is about doing shit that you don't like very, very often because it has a benefit. And I always point to Lute Olsen. It's like Jason Terry was a great player, playing the league for 19 years. He's a freshman He's um, he's a freshman, plays great. Sophomore year, Mike Bibby comes in. Mike Bibby's a local kid. Now think about it. You got Mike Bibby and Jason Terry. These guys com- combined play thirty two years in the NBA, right? And Mike Jason Terry had to come off the bench. He was like, Jason, I think you're going to be a great bench player for us. I think you're going to come off. You're going to be our defensive guy. And he was like, dude, I'm an NBA player. He was the <laughs> 10th pick in the draft. And Mike Bibby was the second pick in the draft. But for a coach, and, and it's kind of like the same story for you, it's like for a coach to come in and be able to like harness and, and control young players and young egos and say, look, if you come off the bench, like we have a chance to be national champions. You know, like you coming off the bench gave your team all everything that they needed to like be one of the top teams in the country. But you start to learn about sacrificing. And then Jason Terry got his opportunity his senior year. Mike Bibby's gone. Jason Terry was national player of the year, was all of that stuff. Had he not put in the time, had he decided to transfer, had he decided to have an attitude, he wouldn't have had all of the accomplishments and been the 10th pick of the draft. You know, for me, you know, playing with Lute Olsen and I never understood why all of the older players would come back because Lute Olson was like your grandfather. He was. There's no other way to describe him. He was like your grandfather that like he would never you'd never see him cry or emotional. You just saw him very stoic all the time. And he obviously had a reputation as like a very good coach and all this other stuff. And he's done it forever. But I would see like Sean Elliott and Steve Kerr and all of these guys come back and they'd be in the corner drinking wine, hanging out with him. And we would be in awe. We were like, how do these guys even want to talk to him? This man is mean. You had to, had to set an appointment to talk to him. You had to set like, if you want to talk to Coach Olson, there wasn't just go sit in his office and like crack jokes with him. It was like, hey, this is Coach Olson's secretary. He'd like, he'd like, uh, he'd like to talk to you. Um, how does two to two thirty sound right and it was like i know you have class and ways so like you had to set an appointment to go talk with your coach like and that rubbed some people the wrong way like guys that were like they would hear these stories and like oh i don't want to meet but you know because everybody needs something different but what i learned from coach olson was that all of these guys came back because when they got to that next level 
they understood him so much more. You knew that he prepared you, not only just to be a good basketball player, but to be a good person. And I always say this, Lute Olson's achievements as a coach are not the Sean Elliott's. They're not the Damon Stoudemire's or the Mike Bibby's. It's the guys like Sean Rooks that played in the league 10 years. Guys like Steve Kerr that played in the league 10 years and are now coaching. Guys like Tom Tolbert, Judd Bushler, Luke Walton, guys that weren't like highly recruited. They weren't these overly studs, but he spent three to four years working on these guys, honing their ability, teaching them the game of basketball. And like he would do that at such a high level that when these guys got to the NBA, you would be like, I need that guy on my roster. He knows how to play. He's selfless. Like he does all the right things. And I always say that that's the biggest compliment. Now, for guys like myself and Andre Iguodala and like these athletes where he was great was he would teach, like, you know how we used to play. We were like this up and down, Casey. And the thing that he was really good at is he would teach athletes how to play and then let them go play. And if, and if we ever got a little crazy, he would reel us back in or talk to us or, or give us a little bit of direction and then let us go play. Like we had five plays at Arizona, five, one, two, three, four, and five. That was it. Those were the five plays. And all of the guys used to come back as like, do you guys still only have five plays? And it was like, yo, he's been doing this for 20 years and we still only have five plays. He just we kept it. We, we had 50. See, see, he kept it simple. He but, you guys, he had, you guys, but, but maybe it was because you guys weren't smart enough to remember more than five plays, which I'm saying. I'm Casey, saying. I, Casey, but think about the intelligence of a coach to know that his players can't remember five plays. Don't get, frust, don't get frustrated at it. But the funny thing is, is that he recruited, like Sean Elliott would come back who hadn't been there in 15 years and be like, is he still running one, two, three, four, and five? We're like, yep, that's where we're running. So it's like, it's like, think about that to be able to be as consistently dominant as Lute Olsen and, you know, even whether it's Iowa days or like Long Beach State, he only had five plays. That means you're teaching people how to play basketball at a very, very high level and you're using their best skills in their favor because it's not like you have a bunch of trickery you don't have a bunch of trickery it's just like you know you throw it to richard you throw it to the wing you throw it to the other thing and it's like we used to joke that like i never saw the ball twice in the possession if that ball started off with gilbert it was probably going to go maybe one more pass and that was it if it started off to me it was never getting to mike wright or lauren woods or luke walton it was never so it's like wherever that ball started it would typically go there but lute olsen and god rest his soul you know, and Coach Montgomery, I know he had such respect for Coach Montgomery and these guys. You would see them kind of laugh and joke, but it was awesome to watch Ludols and prepare against Stanford, watch him prepare against UCLA because he knew how much those games meant to him. And our, our, our last thing I'll say about him is um, and why I, I still to this day, I, I love him. And I remember, you know, freshman year and I did something stupid and he scored. I scored. I did something. He's like, Richard, Richard, what are you doing? Like that play right there. Yeah, it was great. But you know, you're not like you, you're bad teams. You're going to get that. You won't be able to get that against good teams. And you want to know something, Richard. And I was like, what coach? He was like, we don't prepare to beat bad teams here. And I was like, there's nothing you can say to argue with that. 
Like, if he's telling you, like, we don't prepare to beat bad teams, like, he telling you that he's preparing you to play against Stanford, who's number one in the country, who's preparing you to play against UCLA that has Baron Davis and Matt Barnes and all of these guys. So that's always will be something that'll resonate with me. Like, don't prepare to beat bad teams. Just because you can get away with it doesn't mean that that's how you should prepare. And, you know, those are things that have just kind of stuck with me, you know, watching him prepare to play against Coach Montgomery and, and you know, players like yourself. Yeah. Guys, you have a – I hate to have to cut this off, but you have a, you've extended the time frame on here. <laughs> and it's just – I mean, just unbelievable. Um, oh, me and Casey could do this for days, man. We, well, we, we like there's, me and Casey, like an hour later, we're going to be like, oh, I should have told that story. Oh, I should have told that story. I was going to get into trash talking. I'd ask Casey about this earlier in the day. We were talking, but you've covered that pretty well. <laughs> no. Oh, no. So let, I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to say one more right. thing about, about Case and about like kind of our rivalry. So we knew that at Arizona, we had five guys, maybe six guys averaging double figures. There wasn't like, we didn't have like an, uh, we had scores, but we didn't have a guy like Casey who was like the focal point. It was always spread around. It was always well-balanced. So the one thing that we kind of had an understanding of is whenever we played against a top player for the other team, so like Gilbert and Casey, that was a high-level matchup. Or I remember we played against Texas that had Chris Men versus Michael Wright and Lauren Woods. We would always, I'd be like, Gilbert, this is your game. Knock yourself out. Shoot the ball as much as you want. You do whatever you want against Casey. You, hey, if we're, you shoot the ball 100 times, I don't care because this is the matchup that you knew there was tons of NBA scouts. They were watching Gilbert. They were watching Casey. And so it was like, yo, we would do that. And it was, it was so it was so much fun to know that if I was playing against you know, another high level wing that my teammates were going to let me shoot the ball 20, 20 times that night. But if we were playing against Casey Jacobson, Gilbert would just look at me. He's like, you know, you're not shooting the ball tonight. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Knock yourself out. So like, that was, that was fun. That was one of the things that like for, unfortunately for Casey and a lot of other players, like, not that Casey was ever worried, but Casey's night became harder because we always tried to feature the guy that was going against another featured guy. I remember these are good memories. <laughs> Yeah. These are good memories. Uh, thanks for, for strolling down memory lane with me, Richard. It's fun. Um, the only thing I'll say is uh, I do want to remember um, the people that we've lost in this rivalry. We've already mentioned yeah. Lute Olson. Rest in peace, Lute Olson. <clears throat> Rest in peace, Michael Wright. And for yeah. Stanford, rest in peace, Pete Sauer. He was, uh, yeah, he was a, great. a great dude and left, left us too soon. So we're going to miss yeah. all those guys. Yeah, guys, I can't yeah. thank you enough. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous program. Richard Jefferson, uh, University of Arizona, and Casey Jacobson of Stanford. Rivalries both college-wise and participating against one another. And that is going to conclude another chapter of the Sports Rivals podcast. We remind you of our sponsor, Bet Online. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. You can find our show at believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're listening on uh, Apple, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. You can learn more about our show and other episodes by logging on to thesportsrivals.com. You can join the conversation and questions and suggestions for future shows. Follow us on Instagram at thesportsrivals, Twitter at rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for thesportsrivals podcast. And remember, 
It is the rivalries that make the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.